John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. It says, He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which, is, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And we'll stop there and we'll pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, again we turn to you, we ask, Lord, that you would just guide my thoughts, um, guide my words this morning, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we look at your word this morning, help us to learn more of you, um, help us to see things in ourselves that perhaps that we need to change, and Lord, that we can draw closer to you um, through this time. I just pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just before we begin, as I was looking at various things on this passage, one of the, the sites, it was just like a Bible study guide for this passage, for this story, and it gave a, a question um, to think about. And it says, the human tendency is to judge others because of stereotypes, customs, or prejudices. Jesus treats people as individuals, accepting them with love and compassion. Do you dismiss certain people as lost causes, or do you see them as valuable in their own right, worthy of knowing about the gospel. So I just want you to think about that. Think about your attitude towards people and the way that you approach people with the gospel. Do you judge ahead of time whether or not you think it's worth 
sharing that with them. But as we begin here, we see Jesus is in the area around Jerusalem. Um, they call that region Judea. And he's heading back to Galilee. And if you were looking at a, a map of Israel, on the one side, on your left, would be the Mediterranean Sea, and on the other side is the Jordan River. And the lower end of the Jordan River, you have the... I can't think of the name of the sea. <laughs> anyway, the Dead Sea, and then at the top, the, the Sea of Galilee. And so Jerusalem is sort of just central, but across from the top of the, the Dead Sea, and then that's the area where Jesus is leaving. And it's, I don't remember the exact distance, but it's several days walk to get from one to the other. And in between those is Samaria. And so it says he left Judea and departed into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Well, that is the most direct route from one place to the next. And so that is where he traveling. My guess would be that as we see Jesus traveling between the two places on a fairly regular basis in his ministry, um, he probably walked through Samaria numerous times. Otherwise, it's a more roundabout way to get from one place to the other, um, crossing the Jordan River and whatnot. And so, I just thought about when we look at this and we see the interaction, we need to know a little bit about the history of why Samaria is, is what it is. Why there's this stereotype about Samaria, um, this division between the Jews and the Samaritans. And when we look back at history through the Bible, we see um, this, the beginning with, with Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And after they go into captivity in, in Egypt, they come out with Moses. And at the end of that 40 years, they finally, with Joshua leading, cross into the promised land. And so... When they cross over and conquer that land, the land gets divided into the different tribes. And an interesting thing about this place where Jesus stops, it calls it Sychar here, and the best I can come up with, are the Old Testament name for that community would have been Shechem. And Shechem is the place where Abraham, when God called him from his home, is where he went, and that's where God led him to, was Shechem. 
And it even mentions in our passage here, he cometh to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And we can see that is back in Genesis 34. We see that taking place. And it's an interesting thing. In Genesis, I believe it was 34, Jacob gives that parcel to Joseph. But when the Israelites come out of Egypt and when they conquer the land and they divide the land, this same piece of land is actually divided and given to the two sons of Joseph. And I don't know that that's a, a coincidence, but let's see if I can... So it's Genesis 48. It says, verse 20, And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And he said to Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the land of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. And so this is the, that piece of land that Jacob gave to Joseph. And then in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, he says, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground, which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And so that piece of land that we're looking at, that place that we're talking about, was originally given by Jacob to Joseph, and it was also the inheritance of Ephraim and Manasseh which are the two sons of Joseph. And so it has that history tied with it. But now there is a separation that took place, and I'm sure most of you know your, your Bible history as well or better than I do. And after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split they didn't want Solomon's son ruling over them. And so the ten tribes in the north split off from the two lower tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And we have this division, and, of, and we call the lower part Judah, and we call the other, upper part Israel. And that's that division between Judah and the Ephraim of Manasseh. And over time, when both Israel and Judah went into captivity, and when they were coming back into the land, Judah came back and they developed, they rebuilt Jerusalem. But when the others came back, they had intermixed with the Assyrians, 
and I'm not sure that it's in the Bible, not that I can, not that I was able to, to find, but the historical story that I found was that those in the north, in Samaria, had their own version of the Bible, of the Old Testament scriptures, which was different from what God had given them. And I, I don't know too much about that, but between being intermixed with the Assyrians um, and not having the right scriptures, there was that is what created the division between them and the Jews to the south. The Jews to the south, in their purity in what they were trying to do, didn't consider those to the north correct. They were intermixed. They were considered a, a mongrel. Um, some say this a mixed breed and a mixed religion. And so this is where the division comes from. And I'm sure I've missed a whole bunch of points that I wanted to say, but that's okay. But we get this intermixing of religion and the other point that back in the history of it, when they entered the land and conquered that land, the was initially set up right in this area of Shechem. And Shechem sits between the two mountains of Ebal and Gerizim, the mountain of blessing and the mountain of, of cursing. And this is where the original tabernacle was set up when they entered the land. And it wasn't until Solomon's day when they built the temple in Jerusalem. And we see that gets brought up between Jesus and this Samaritan woman as well. In verse 6, it says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, it doesn't say how long they've been traveling. My guess is that it's just the one day at this point. And I tried to look up the distance between Jerusalem and Sychar, but uh, I got multiple answers, so I'm not sure what the right answer would have been there. My best guess was it was about 35 miles. And if that's, if you're walking 35 miles in a day, that's a long walk as far as I'm concerned. And so Jesus gets there in any case, and he's tired. And he sits down at this well. And I'm thinking about Jesus sitting down at this well. And he's tired. You ever, at the end of a long day, and you're tired, you just sit. <laughs> you're slumped over, and you're tired, right? Like, there's a sitting of a tired person is different than just sitting around talking or whatever. Like, it's, and he says, he sat thus. <laughs> Jesus is tired. He just slumps over. But, thinking about the history of this place, all the things that took place, all the Bible stories, and there's many 
events in the Bible that took place at this very location that had to have been on Jesus' mind as he sat there. I know um, some of you have been to Israel. Um, and when you're actually in the land, when you're looking at the place where something took, something happened, it just becomes more real in your mind. I remember in grade six, um, we lived in this little village in Nova Scotia, and for our history class, the teacher picked a, a history book that was written about the town that we were living in, and it had a very interesting history. And throughout, I was not much of a history student growing up through school. That's probably the only history class that I actually have any memory of what I was taught because it was real to me, because it was the town that I lived in. I could see and look at the places that were being talked about and the things that took place and what they were used for. Um, the town had originally been a boat building town and we had a, a bridge. Um, it was in a river several miles in from the, the ocean, but the tide came in and out of that river and it would be where it could pass a ship through at high tide and nothing but a trickle at low tides. And they built ships at this place and the bridge would swing out of the way um, from where the, the boats were built upstream of it to let them pass through. And it was just a very interesting history. But it was real to me because I was sitting in that place looking at those things learning about what took place there and just thinking of Jesus sitting in this place remembering you know I'm, I'm looking at it from his human perspective <laughs> as a man reading the stories of the Bible he's looking at it from that historic perspective of course, Jesus, in his deity, was watching all of this take place directly. But we're looking at him as a man here, and we see Jesus' humanity depicted in this very verse. It says, Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, Jesus was fully man in the flesh and he experienced all the same things that any of us do. And so after a long day of walking, Jesus is tired and thirsty, just like any of us would be. It's interesting you ever think about why we grow tired and why we grow thirsty? Genesis 3 verse 19 as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve it says that in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread until thou return to the ground for out of it thou 
Out of, his, out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. But in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Adam was given the charge of taking care of the Garden of Eden before sin occurred. He was given a job to do. And he was allowed to eat of all the different fruit trees of the garden, of course, except for the one. But the result of disobeying God, the result of sin now was that by the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Now work becomes difficult. You're going to grow tired. And in that process of sweating, you're going to also grow thirsty. And so it's because of sin that we grow tired and we get thirsty because of our work that we're doing. Now, is Jesus getting tired because of his own sin? Of course not. We just see that Christ took on humanity. Galatians 3.13 describes saying, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So Jesus became a curse. He took our sin on him and he joined us in bearing the curse of the sin. Romans 8 verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And the point there being that even though he took on the results of our sin, he didn't commit any himself. He humbled himself, though. To that level. Um, you think about Jesus walking. Do you know rich men didn't make that journey by foot? If they were traveling from one place to another, if you had any wealth at all, you'd be perhaps riding in a chariot, at very least on horseback or on a mule or a camel or something like that, you certainly wouldn't be walking. Ecclesiastes seems to keep coming up. Chapter 10, verse 7, he says, I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, is walking like a servant on the earth. Philippians 2.7 says, But he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus humbled himself and became like a servant, walking, becoming tired in his journey. Covered in sweat, thirsty, and worn out. Purposely taking on the form of his servant. Demonstrating 
that he had he was fully man he had all of the weaknesses of man except for not giving in to temptation to sin And in verse 7, it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says unto her, Give me to drink. And it says, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So Jesus sits by the well, and the disciples head off to buy some food. And so he's sitting there alone. And this woman comes to draw water, and Jesus asks for a drink. Then verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. As I said, as we going, we look at the history and the animosity between those two groups. This woman is a Samaritan, and the Jews had wouldn't give a Samaritan the time of day. When we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives that story, and this man who is hurt sitting in a ditch has these Jews walk by. It's not even a Samaritan, but these priests and these these good religious people wouldn't take the time of day to help this person, but the Samaritan did. The Samaritan did the opposite. And Jesus' point was partly that these guys, these religious Jews, wouldn't lift a finger to help a Samaritan. And this woman knows all too well the attitude of the Jews towards the Samaritans. She says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, asks a drink of me? It's like, it was so bad that a Jew could suffer in their hunger or thirst or despair of whatever kind and they would never lower themselves to the point of asking a Samaritan for help. <laughs> you could never lower yourself. I'd sooner die than ask them for help. <laughs> and that was just the attitude of the Jews of that day. And this woman knows it all too well. I'm sure she's dealt with Jews on occasion as they've traveled through the area. He says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, are asking me for a drink? But we notice Jesus isn't worried about that, right? Jesus isn't treating her the way the Jews typically treated the Samaritans. He's just, she's just a woman who's come with a pitcher that she can draw water, and he wants a drink. 
But Jesus continues. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus is different than the Jews, right? His attitude towards people is different. And we see Jesus very harsh at, in some cases with different people. Primarily, though, with the religious Jews. And we, we've seen interactions that Jesus had a Samaritan woman coming and asking for healing. And he talks about giving the, the children's food to the, to the dogs. And so he wasn't always overly generous to the Samaritans. He, he knew they, didn't, they weren't first in line for what he was bringing. But he didn't treat them like dirt either. And that, that particular woman commented that even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table, and then he commends her for her faith, for her optimism, and he does what she was asking. This woman, he just asks her for a drink, and when she brings this up, Jesus just kind of turns the tables a little bit now and says that if you knew says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that said this to you, if you only knew who was asking you for the drink, instead of bringing up this issue of racism or prejudice that is common, you would have asked me for a drink. You would have asked me for what I had to give to you. such a difficult, we look at our world right now, everything around us, in the media in particular, is dealing with racism and all this topic, and it doesn't seem to matter what we bring up, there's some form of either racism or prejudice attached to everything, and it, it got to such a point um, I was at the farm the other day and the guy was on a, a meeting um, with Patty Haidu talking about um, farming and development and that sort of thing and after the meeting he says he was, he's been in all these different training courses as he's getting involved in, in these political meetings and one of the trainings says that you can't call a woman a female because female implies the ability to, to reproduce and not all women are able to reproduce and I just kind of looked at him <laughs> but that's, that's where our world is going is 
doesn't, we can't say anything, and somebody ties our statement to some form of a prejudice thing where there was none intended, where you have to teach me what the prejudice thing is in the words that I say. Well, there's no prejudice in, involved if you have to teach me what the prejudice is. And that's almost what took place with Jesus and this woman is she's trying to, like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm a Samaritan? And she's teaching him what prejudice he is supposed to hold. And it just shows that prejudice goes both ways. Those who get oppressed and who receive the bulk of the, the mistreatment and the receive the prejudiced attitudes towards them end up becoming prejudiced towards those, <laughs> the group, all of the other group together as as racist or, or whatever, whatever the issue of the day is. But, and that seems to be what's happening now in our society is that even those who have no racist thought get accused of being racist because of the history, because of the bulk of racism that has taken place in our society, right? It goes both ways. But I think we need to be careful. I asked that question at the beginning. Do you dismiss certain people as lost causes? Do you look at certain groups of people differently than you do others. I think we need to be careful though. It's gotten to such a point where we can't look at a situation and point out facts of the problems of a situation because it's considered prejudice or racist if we point out a problem with a community of people. And there can be problems with a community, issues that are causing problems in a community, which isn't, you're not pointing to the individuals necessarily, sometimes it's a community problem. We can make generalizations that are generally true. <laughs> but we should be careful not to apply that to every individual. But that's, that's the problem now is we can't, we're not even allowed to make observations of problems because we, we get accused of being racist for doing it. And it becomes hard in both directions. Do you dismiss certain people as lost causes? I'm, I'm sure we're all guilty of that. But do other people dismiss our message because of the history of various problems within churches and 
I, I see in comments all the time. Um, there was a group talking just about finances. And a person asking a question about whether in their tithe, if is it okay to split their tithe between the church and giving it to various individuals or other groups? Or should that be separate? Should my, my 10% only be to the church? And within that, the answer to that is you see the, the prejudice of it or the, the attitudes towards the church come out in people's answers. And some of it, it was just very derogatory towards the church that the church doesn't need your money. Right? And the one comment I kind of stood out was you know the pastor needs a new car so let's let's take a collection and gather up and make an offering to help the pastor buy the new car but if one of the congregants and this is obviously an American needs surgery or some hospital thing it'd be well let's pray about that rather than gathering collecting money to help make the payment and you know what that happens and there's filthy rich pastors out there that are doing things wrong and collecting money wrongly. And that paints a broad brush against every church and every pastor in some people's minds. And so that prejudice can go in both directions. Sometimes it's hard for us as a Christian to be a witness, to get that opportunity because the person sees Christians as greedy and as prejudiced and racist and sadly sometimes it's true and so we need to be careful of those things and so this woman this Samaritan woman she just expects Jesus to be racist but you notice he doesn't even acknowledge that he doesn't deal directly with that issue he just changes the topic he redirects and gets to the point and this is what we need to learn of how to stop focusing on the problem on the social issues and get past it and get the message of the gospel there and that's exactly what Jesus is doing If thou knewest the gift of God. Jesus is the gift of God. And maybe that's the answer. When we have a hard time reaching somebody because of maybe a prejudice they have against Christians, our attitude needs to be if only you knew the gift of God. It has nothing to do with who I am, or what the church has done, or what the church does, the problems in the church. It has to do with Christ and Him alone. And of course, Jesus uses this picture of living water. 
and it's very similar when he talks about the bread of life and but there's various passages and I I just picked a couple John 7 Jesus describes he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water shall flow rivers of living water Isaiah 12 verse 3 says therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation Isaiah 35, 7 says, And the parched ground shall become a pool, and thirsty lands, land, springs of water. And it's just that picture of, in John 7, He that believeth on me, out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. This living water Jesus is describing is not something that you consume and is then gone and you need it again. He's talking of salvation, of eternal life, life that springs out and overflows. And if you have that life, that eternal life springing up, overflowing, and that description out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That should be a description of you and me. And when we're interacting with people, they should see living water flowing out of us. They should see something beyond the prejudices of the church towards various groups and the prejudices that they have towards the church and all the wrong that various churches have done. And many times in life, um, talk about being a Christian with anybody and they'll bring up the history of the Catholic Church and all the, the wickedness that has happened through that. And I said, well, that's not, that's not the kind of church that I'm involved in. <laughs> that has nothing to do with Christianity, they bring up all the wars and, and fighting and oppression that's been caused by churches. And they're like, well, all of that has nothing to do with the Bible. That's just people in sin. And yeah, it's all wrong. And sometimes we need to acknowledge the wrong that's been done, but we need to point beyond those things to Christ, the gift of God, the living water. There's a message beyond defending the church is pointless. Pointing the person to Christ is what we need to do. And So Jesus did that well. He just diverted her attention and he talked about this thing that she then didn't even comprehend what he was saying and The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, 
neither come hither to draw. It's like, I don't know if she's being sarcastic or if she's just taking him absolutely literal and believing what he's saying now. Give me this water that I'm not going to get thirsty again. Give me this water so I can stop coming here and drawing water out of this well. But Jesus has changed her attitudes toward him instantly by redirecting to what was needed. And we'll continue looking at that interaction um, and just how Jesus redirected that. The way Jesus took her objections and just turned that around and reached into her life with the gospel. I hope that was helpful this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we see in the passage the hurt that was caused to the Samaritan people and the expectation that she had of this attitude from Jesus as she recognized him as a Jew. And she was suspicious of his motives, Lord. And Help us to overcome those things. Help us to change our attitudes if we have those kinds of attitudes, Lord. And help us to do as Jesus did and put those aside and deal with the truth. Um, deal with the individual and their need. Help us to learn that, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.